All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of Canucks conversation my name is Dave Guadrelli that is Harmon Dial our technical producer is Grady Sass and our new intern brand new intern sorry Lachlan is Madison Buckingham and like I said this is Canucks conversation we're here to wrap up a very busy weekend an all-star weekend a trade we our last episode was an emergency podcast about Elias Lindholm being traded to the Vancouver Canucks so we have got a lot to talk about but before we do that i've got some business to take care of i have to tell you that canucks conversation is brought to you by the 2023 toyota bz4x the bz4x is toyota's brand new all-electric suv that is designed to go the distance for you and your family the bz4x is packed with toyota's coolest tech but it still has that trusty suv feel you know and love and even though it's electric it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain whether it's rain, snow, mud, or your friend's questionable post-game recaps, the BZ4X will get you through. We are coming to you from the iconic Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Looking for your next meeting space? Contact the Wall Center for all of your event needs at sales at wallcenter.com. How was your weekend? It was great. Near, I was telling you uh, before the show started, I, I thought I sprained my ankle playing basketball over the weekend. Literally could not put any weight on it on Saturday night. And I'm thinking, oh boy. I'm going to, going to be coming to the studio in crutches and then locked out. I woke up Sunday morning. There was ab- absolutely no pain. So uh, although a little bit of pain, I couldn't play the hockey I normally play on Sunday, but locked out in the sense that I can still walk and going to go to the gym today and everything. So so you were playing basketball. Are you a perimeter player? Were you in the paint? What oh, I'm in the doing? paint. I So here's the thing. I don't have any skill. Basketball wasn't one of the main sports I played. Mm. 
but I rebound like a madman. Oh, I'm bored, man. That, I, that's my job. I love it. So I used to play basketball and I can only shoot threes. Like I, I I'm not even joking. I don't know how to shoot from different distances because the three point line is like a set distance. So I would just practice shooting from that distance. But like, you know, like a regular field goal, like five feet from the hoop, there's, there's a chance I'm missing, but like three point, I'm pretty automatic. That, that sounds about right. You're, you're a short white guy. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good role for you. That's true. Play box out hard as hell, man, when I can, but uh, not very often. Um, but yeah, basketball was fun. I played basketball through high school. Didn't play much, but uh, I did play and it was a lot of fun. One sport I did play is rugby. And it's fitting because our first segment is brought to you by HSBC World Rugby Sevens. Western Canada's largest sporting event this year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series. Tickets are on sale now at vansevens.com starting from just $40 per day. And if you want to go, we've got a four-pack of tickets for the entire weekend to give away. Text hashtag sevens, that's S-E-V-E-N-S to 778. 478- 402-9680 your chance to win. We will be giving away a four-pack each week until the event, which is at the end of February. Folks, February 23rd to 25th. Text hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680. That is the sponsor of our first segment. Our first segment is titled Elias Lindholm Mania. The title of the episode, Harmon, is titled Lindholm Mania. And Kevin Woodley's going to join us later. He's also in the title. But Lindholm, Elias Lindholm. Has anything, I don't want to say the word changed, have you thought of any new takes about Elias Lindholm since we gave our instant reaction to the trade when we went live? Uh, what was it, like Friday night? When did we go live? I don't even remember. No, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, excuse me. Uh, that was the last time we talked, and that was obviously the last time we talked about Elias Lindholm. Yeah, so I had a chance to continue watching some more tape on Friday morning. I dropped an article at The Athletic breaking down a bunch of film on Lindholm, so there were a couple of things that stood out. Number one, of course, with us having the understanding um, with practice lines that Lindholm's going to start on Pedersen's wing, I am really curious to see what Lindholm's two-way play could look like from the wall. Because one thing that was interesting, and I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the offensive fit with Pedersen. That's another intriguing point. But from a two-way perspective, watching a lot of Calgary's games this year and specifically keying in on Lindholm, it was interesting that. Lindholm was always smart positionally. He was always on the right side of the puck. You never really caught him out of position. Generally made sound reads, but he wasn't overly disruptive, hmm. right? He wasn't the type of player that when when the other team had possession, that Lindholm's consist- consistently stripping players of the puck down low or intercepting a lot of passes. It was a lot of prevent defense. It was it wasn't a case of him winning a lot of battles and for, enforcing changes in possession which is what you expect from a really, really high-end defensive player. And it's actually, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the PK impact as well. That's what I saw from him on the PK. I was like, wow, I was blown away with how Lindholm looked at times on the PK. But at 5-on-5, five five, put it this way, you're not watching him going, wow, that's a guy that finished second place in Selkie Trophy not too long ago. Hmm. But at the same time, you would see sparks of okay, I'm interested to see how that skill set could translate on the wing. And what I mean by that is there was, in the most recent Battle of Alberta game, there was a play where Calgary was on the power play. They dump it in. Stuart Skinner goes behind the net to collect it. Lindholm is the first man in, first man in on the forecheck, and he's flying in, nearly 
cleanly picks the picks the pass off. Ultimately, the clearance deflects off Lindholm's stick, goes out of play. But I'm like, wow, that's a burst of speed that when he's just typically playing center at five on five, you know, he has that pace, but he he doesn't consistently show that motor. He's not constantly hounding the puck. He's not again being a really disruptive force. But then you see that speed, and you're like, okay, now if he's playing on Patterson's wing. And his job isn't necessarily so much staying above the play. It isn't, I'm the F3. It's, okay, I'm a winger. My job is to get in on the forecheck, like that clip. Um, in, that Ed, in, Ed, in that Edmonton game, I'm excited to see if he can be more disruptive, if, if he can really pursue the puck and win a lot more battles because the type of speed and defensive intelligence he has, he's going to be able to do things away from the puck that Kuzmenko doesn't. How about Mikheyev? Like, in, in terms of how much better of a defensive player is Elias Lindholm than Ilya Mikheyev? I think there's a... I think there should be a difference. Okay. Especially in the PK is is where, again, I noticed it. Uh, at 5-on-5, five five, again, I didn't see the most disruptive version of Lindholm. But again, part of it, I wonder as well, is playing in that situation in Calgary doesn't have the best line mates. I bet that team as a whole doesn't have the best vibe around it considering how much it's they've underperformed. Calgary. Jonathan Huberdo, <laughs> you can say they have to live in Alberta, and they have to live in Alberta during uh, the winter. And he probably knows that he he's on his way out, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that affects his engagement because there were also plays where, again, I'd see a moment where Lindholm has a chance to win a puck battle, and he's I don't want to say he's going in half heartedly, but he's not going in with what I think is his max output, max intensity. So I think the fresh start will help him as well. Uh, so yeah, I do think. Put it this way, Mikheyev and Lindholm's defensive impact this year has been pretty similar, which is to say at 5-on-5, five five, it hasn't been spectacular. But I think Lindholm's tools and him having the fresh start in Vancouver, playing the wing next to Pedersen, I think he should be more disruptive. Similar to the conversation around his offensive game where you look at his numbers and you say, okay, when he plays with Elias Pedersen, he should be able to do this. And the take I gave on Wednesday was Elias Pedersen was able to make Sam Lafferty work in a top six for like a month. So... He should be able to make Elias Lindholm work. This was what Lindholm had to say when he was talking about the trade yesterday. And on the topic of knowing that the trade was coming, something that you just said, he said, obviously I've been knowing that it was coming for quite some time and I've been kind of waiting to see what happens and what's going to happen and where I'm going to go and so on. So, I mean, it's good for me to come here not too late and close to the deadline and have some time now to get acclimated and get to know the guys in the last 30 plus games together. Uh, More of that is in scenes from... Canucks practice, which was up yesterday on CanucksArmy.com. I just find it interesting that they pulled the trigger so early. And I, I like it. They like we saw them, you know, set the market, beat the market. And I think it's safe to say they beat the market when you look that Sean Monahan went for a first and the third. Although the third is a conditional third, so it's not for sure, but um, you know, a, a first round pick going for Sean Monahan and obviously that conditional third as well. Um, yeah, I I think it's safe to say that the Canucks did beat the market on. Elias Lindholm and I think it was good that they did that and pulled the trigger uh, when they did the thing I started to think more about Lindholm harm just as I kind of dove in over the weekend it's hard to think about it a little more aside from the fact that he wasn't on the Canucks team at the all-star game which was uh, early controversy I'm I'm joking of course but um, the thing I started thinking more about with Lindholm was the strong side face-off stuff and Tockett spoke about that when he was on I think he was on the Sportsnet broadcast talking about it um, and he said, if he's on a line with Pedersen, which we now know he is, as we all kind of thought he would be, 
Pedersen can take the face off when it's on his strong side. Lindholm, who's right-handed instead of left-handed, can take it when it's on his strong side. And look, I know there's a lot of discourse around strong side face-offs in many of the circles that you and I are a part of, but it matters. Like, it does matter to some extent. And, and not only the strong side, weak side stuff, but Lindholm is a exceptional talent in the face-off. Dot over 55%. Um, he is he's going to win a lot of draws and he's going to provide the Canucks with something that, Hey, like we talked about how much, Oh, Pia Suter hitting and Teddy Bluger hitting is filling the third line center role. Something that the Canucks have been chasing for so long. Canucks have been chasing a right-handed center who can win face-offs for almost just as long as they've been chasing that third line center. Absolutely. You're going to also notice the difference. The more the stakes rise heading into the playoffs, because that's where situationally your late in games, especially if you're up a goal or even if you're trailing and there's, and there's a huge offensive zone face-off draw, those are the situations where you're desperately going to need a win to whether it's hold a lead or, or climb back into it. It's also going to have a significant impact on the PK. And this is where special teams face-offs matter a ton. It's not going to have as much of an impact on the power play because on the power play, you can choose which side you want the face-off and JT Miller's pretty good in the draw. But on the PK, that's where it's going to be a significant advantage because we've known in the past when the Canucks have had penalty killing woes, oftentimes it stems from they can't win the initial yep. faceoff and they get hemmed in. Even with this iteration of the Canucks PK, they are masterful at defending their blue line when, when the opposition has to go back and regroup. They're trying to enter the zone. They're trying to get set up. They're, they're forecheck, they're, the formation they have, how well they plug the middle, force puck carries to the outside, and then win those battles is so disruptive. Where the Canucks PK sometimes, especially earlier in the year, ran into problems is when they lose that initial draw, and then it's, okay, if they're defending in zone, they're not particularly great at disrupting passing lanes, at getting that first clearance. Lindholm's going to have a strong impact there, and even just looking at his usage. Since the 2021-22 season, he's logged the sixth most PK minutes of all NHL forwards, and the results have been pretty strong. Uh, Lindholm's goals against rate uh, ranks 23rd best among 77 forwards with at least 300 PK minutes since that season. Again, even just watching some clips in that most recent battle, battle of Alberta game, there was a play where this this one, ironically, Lindholm lost the initial draw, but as Edmonton's power play was trying to get set up, Edmonton had the puck along the boards, played it up to Bouchard. Lindholm made such a quick read, immediately went full speed at uh, Bouchard at the point. Bouchard faked as if he was going to try and go to the middle, tried to pull off, pull off a move. Lindholm didn't, didn't bite, immediately poked it out of the zone. Edmonton then regrouped in the neutral zone, tried to enter the zone, rimmed it around. Lindholm beat Zach Hyman to the puck, got it out, and you're like, okay, this is exactly the type of defensive player uh, you'd love to add to this PK. So I'm excited to see his impact shorthanded. Okay, so we focus a lot on his defensive game, his play away from the puck. Versatile player. Like, he's a very, very versatile player. We talked a lot about the offensive side when we broke down the trade on Wednesday, but I want to touch on that again because the thing that I'm starting to really think about is if this guy's playing with an elite puck distributor, like Elias Pedersen, probably the best line mate he's ever played with. Like, do, do you think... No, you don't think it's safe to say that? Because I, I think the only reason I would I would stop that argument is because he had two very elite line mates, very elite 
in Johnny Gaudreau in that season and Matthew Kachuk. Three 40-goal scores all on the same line on Calgary. That's special. And Ilya Mikheyev's not a 40-goal score, right? I'd say Elias Pettersson is better than Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. And, and it's a hard argument. Yes, to, it, yes yeah, right now. Of course, of course. That's but, what I was getting at, yeah. Goudreau at the time was having an MVP caliber season. That's best season he's ever had. And seriously, you watch some of the clips. You're like, that is not the Johnny Goudreau that I've seen recently. No, in he got his bag and he stopped playing. I've, I've gone over this. He did the purely. Yeah. So, I mean, fine. If you want to make that argument, regardless of whether you're in the camp that Pedersen right now is better than Goudreau was that season or vice versa. You're splitting. Exactly. Hairs. Exactly. Yeah. The, it's bigger, close. the bigger difference is he's, he had two of them. So I'm not going to go to that extent, but. Totally it's still obviously a massive upgrade from this season when some of the recent tape I was watching, it's like Jonathan Huberto. Yeah. And he's not really able to make um, an impact at all. And, and really that passing matters a lot because I went back and for that article last week, I tracked every goal Lindholm scored in the regular season and playoffs in that 2021-22 um, season. So he had 47 goals between regular season and playoffs. 29 of those came directly from either a cross seam pass or a low to high pass where the playmaker was below the offensive zone faceoff dot. So those are the types of difficult passing plays that you need a high end playmaker to make. Lindholm was of course the one finding the soft ice in and around the high slot area. Those high slot goals, by the way, have completely dried up. You look at the NHL edge data that year, he was in the 99th percentile. I think he had 20 goals from the quote-unquote mid-danger areas in the high slot. This year is three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Which is around three isn't a low number. It's just what averages. The comparison because, to him before. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a colossal drop-off. So he's going to increase that number. Yeah, exactly. In Vancouver. He's got that quick release, and that's the thing that you and I focus so much on. Uh Obviously, we'll get some more Lindholm takes in the anyone else segment. But before we do that, we want to chat with our friend, friend of the show, Kevin Woodley, who is brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing. Family owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean and easy drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after or during the game. Might want to have a lot of those uh, during the skills competition, which we'll talk about in the anyone else segment ask for four wins light lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. let's bring him in the goalie guru as he's so affectionately known as kevin woodley kevin thanks so much for doing this thanks for taking the time today uh it's my pleasure um i i uh i kind of use some of that four wins i spent the weekend watching uh my daughter's volleyball team down in seattle N- nothing against Obviously, big fan of women's volleyball, but you put uh, 12 teams at once playing in the same area. You add the whistles to screaming teenage girl reactions to points, and I felt like I spent the weekend at a Taylor Swift concert, so I'm a little under the weather, a little pounding headache going today, so I needed I needed something to take the edge off over the weekend. What's your reaction to the big news of the weekend? Taylor Swift, new album in April. <laughs> um, i'll be downloading and listening right away i'm a, I'm a hardcore swifty it's all good by me fantastic we're pumped for it we're pumped for it on this show okay thanks for doing this uh no we'll, we'll talk to you about the uh skills competition as well what did you think of the new format because i we haven't really dove into it yet but we're going to a lot in our next you have to? Just, i know i i want to i want to know your opinion because i have mixed feelings on it i have very mixed feelings uh on the new skills competition 
I'm not down for anything that involves goalie erasure. What a hundred grand. Come on. Give me a break. We're the stars of the show. We should get the full schmell. How dangerous is it for real for a goalie to come in cold like that and just face a bunch of breakaway opportunities? This conversation feels like we have every single year. No, I mean, it's not ideal, but I don't know about dangerous. You just go through the warm up. Like the reality is they can't just show up, throw on their skates and their gear and go out and play. Like there's a, you have to go through your routine. Like almost, I don't know. I've never actually asked anybody if they go through it completely to the degree they would if they were playing a game, but they go through warming up their body, you know, I think to a similar extent they would for say a practice. Cause you don't want to take that chance. Like you, yeah. you don't hop in cold and then face the world's best players in breakaways without the risk of, you know, lower body injuries are getting overextended unless you're going to not try hard. And you know, I, don't, I don't know, you know, despite what we saw in, from Nikita Kucherov, I'm not sure anybody's <laughs> really wired that way. Woodley, I wanted to. Uh, uh, sorry, there was a bit of an, uh, an echo there. <laughs> oh, you sounded great. You were like an all-present harm. It was like <laughs> I thought. Actually, the like we had like a like a holy being was asking me. A yeah, question. it's our new it bit. Awesome. It's our new bit on this show. <laughs> uh, Voice of all, God. In all seriousness, I wanted to ask you about the overall, I guess, state of goaltending because I was thinking about Igor Shosturkin, for instance. There's been a lot of talk in New York about his struggles i think he's below a 900 save percentage this year even in dallas jake ottinger hasn't had the sharpest year but even in previous seasons we've seen for instance thatcher demko here have uh, have a down season last year it just sort of feels like outside of maybe connor hellebuck that every goaltender no matter how much star power they have behind them is prone to to volatility a lot of highs and lows what's your take on why we're seeing a lot of this volatility with goaltenders, even when it comes to some of the uh, biggest names. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, like if I had the answer to that, um, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. I'd be cashing bigger checks. somewhere. <laughs> um, like the volatility has been surprising to me, especially amongst the bigger names. Like Shesterkin, when I looked at his game, I didn't see it as one that would have this many highs and lows, right? Is there a level of athleticism and skill that he's reliant on? Yeah, but it's not, it was never out of control, right? Like it wasn't the head first diving stuff. Um, it was the way he moved around on the ice that made him so remarkable, uh, both athletic and powerful, but also under control. So yeah, some of this is environment, but it's not. So like, I, I thought for sure the Rangers would have a higher expected save percentage for him under Peter Laviolette. There's usually a first year bump under him as a head coach that sustains for a couple of years. And now, Shesterkin's expected as like 886 right now. And that's below league average, but not by a ton, just by a little bit. And he's barely outperforming it. So you know, I grain assault the 900 a little bit because his expected as 886. But it's not like that's not a, a shocking number, right? Like Jacob Markstrom's rocking an expected of 874 right now. And he's outperforming it at a level that, frankly, few other in the entire NHL are like almost a full 3% above it. So I do think a lot of it is so for the guys that are just getting started in their career. And I know Shesterkin's been around a little while, but this all sort of started after the heart year, right? Like the high was so high um, that there was always going to be a downside because, you know, he wasn't just like good that season. He was historically good that season. So there was always a sort of, I guess there was another side to that coin that was going to come. I'm surprised it's been as harsh as it is. And I think, Part of this can be um, just the amount of pre-scout that goes into things. Like, like you're not fooling anyone anymore. And I think guys pay attention to those things more when it's a Tuesday night in New York 
than they did in the past. Like I think a lot of pre-scout stuff and how to target and break down goalies, you know, frankly was sort of lost until he hit the playoffs. And that's when teams, you know, in a best of seven are going to grind down on those details and pay attention, you know, to tendencies where to beat guys. I think the best get that respect a little more often. And so there's no margin for error. Um, you know, I can't tell you why he's having more B games and getting exposed, but if there's one thing that, you know, goalie coaches and goalies around the league have agreed upon over the last couple of years, when I talked to him, it's that you can't get away with a B game. Like I remember with Luongo and that entire generation, like part of them having this success, they had 70 plus nights a year was learning how to manage the nights where they weren't on. Now, again, you talk to guys around the league, like you have a night where you're not on, that's when five or six go by you. Like, it's just so hard. Um, you know, a couple of guys have told me this year, they feel the game's never been harder for goaltending at the NHL. There are some guys in the eighties that didn't have much protection, uh, to their equipment that might disagree back when the fear factor was actually a part of the position, but it's tough, man. And I, like, it's just really hard. I guess consistency is going to become sort of the new, the new thing we look for, right? Like consistency, as much as the highs, we're going to look for the guys that don't have the dips as sort of being, you know, a measuring stick for whether you're a truly elite number one. Okay. Do the, do the valleys sort of level off above expected as opposed to having those deeper valleys and maintaining higher peaks to follow up on that. How many truly elite number ones do you think are there right now? Am I allowed to answer that question? They're going to like knock up. <laughs> right. Like they're going to fully take away my union card. Five minutes with quads and I'm going to be like totally jeopardizing I didn't everything ask I the built questions. up in the goalie union. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear the voice of God. So I thought it was you. <laughs> no, um, listen, uh, that's, you know, like I'm looking at the list right now. Like is Jacob Markstrom having an elite season right now? Yeah. But where was he last year? Right. We speak about the consistency. Jeremy Swayman's having another exceptional season, but he hasn't been in the league that long and he's not playing on an every night basis. You know, I'd have Demko in that conversation. We watch him every night. We know how good he's capable of being. And yet you guys talked about last year. So, you know, and again, we know here internally, like in Vancouver, I've watched what happened last year, that a lot of that is just environment. That's the one thing I will say I've learned. When the environment gets terrible, like really bad, like bottom five in the league bad, I don't, doesn't matter who's in that. Hmm. Um, you know, I say, I say that despite what Jacob Markstrom's doing this year, but it's just really hard to sustain any level of consistency behind that, right? We saw it with the Oilers this year, like Stuart Skinner, they were ready to punt him right out the door at the beginning of the season. Well, the Oilers were 32nd in the NHL when it came to high danger rush chances that they surrendered. So the most dangerous types of chances, they gave up more than anyone in the entire league. And oh, the goaltending sucked. Well, guess what? They make a coaching change. They are now number one in the league since that change in terms of those types of chances. And guess what? Stuart Skinner doesn't suck anymore, right? So I do think when you get to that, those sort of edges of like the, the periphery, the outside, the last few spots in the league and certain types of scoring chances, there's only so much goaltending can do. In terms of who's elite, like there's a lot of guys I would have had on that list that are having down years. I would have put Shesterkin in that category. I think you have Sorokin in that group. Connor Hellebuck is clearly there because of the consistency in his game, because this is a year after year thing. And yet I'd add the caveat. One thing the Jets have done incredibly well throughout his, his time there, I guess throughout his time in that elite status is not give up laterals. Nobody in the league better in a one-on-one situation, straight line attack than Connor Hellebuck East West. 
the numbers fall off, but they don't give up east-west there. Nowhere near as much as other teams do. So um, there's a grain of salt with everyone. Man, if you're hovering in the top 10 uh, for three, four years in a row, I put you in that category. Andre Vasilevsky's having a down year. I still think he's an elite goaltender. UC Saros is having a down year right now. But I still, based on the previous three, have him in that category as well. So I'm not going to let quads or harm cost me my goalie union card. I'm going to load up on guys that I still think are elite and trust that they'll get back to that form, even if it's down right now. Okay, Kevin. So let's use that context to discuss the trade market then. Because is this almost because we've established that this is kind of a new thing where no matter who's in net, if your environment's bad, it's not going to work. And you just brought up Hellebuck as a guy who really good one on one, but East West isn't good. And one conversation oh, it, it isn't good. You're killing me again. Sorry, tell- sorry. You didn't say isn't good, but the numbers fall, as you would say. The numbers fall. Don't forget the numbers and everything else Connor Hellebuck does are so elite that, every, you know, it has to come down. But in, in the context of trading, we talked about a team like the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, they should go get Connor Hellebuck. Okay, well, they better clean up what they're doing in front of them or they're not going to love that investment. The, right. I, the, the, the reason I'm bringing this up, Kevin, is because with Casey DeSmith, did the Canucks know something we didn't? Was Casey DeSmith just going to flourish in the Canucks' new defensive environment because he's been fantastic since arriving in Vancouver? Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question. Obviously, there's a trust level there that, that came with um, them knowing him from the past. Now, the one thing that's happened with Casey is uh, the environment's been pretty good. Like, his expected is 895. Uh, it was 905 for like the longest time. It was one of the best environments in the league. It's come down here. He's got some tougher starts and some tougher minutes here of late. Like, I, I guess my question would be like, when you say how good, where do you put him right now? Like, wh- what do his raw numbers tell you? In terms of backups or? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot. So like, like what level are we talking about here? Uh, a level higher than what the Canucks were getting from their backups last year. Let me look though. Cause obviously the defensive environment was bad. Let me look at the. Oh, see, yeah. Well, I got to look it up I, off the top of my head, Kevin. He's the best backup in the world. How about that? Uh, Jonathan Quick's been pretty good. Okay, see? So off the top of my head, I'm looking. I'm looking. Do, 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 Just wait. Just do, wait. Because you got all these guys that have no pressure. Games. Well, you're, man, this is your last time on the show. I swear, Great Kevin. podcasting on the fly right here. Well, no. And, and Kevin, we should also mention you were. I'm not to... allowed to ask questions? No, no, no. I like, I like this. I like this. I'm going to find you an answer, but I'm going to fill time while I do it. Uh, we should also mention you were going to co-host today until I rudely texted you last night and said, hey, can you just guest instead? This is why I'm being such a hard ass and not the <laughs> fact that I'm actually getting sick right now. I'm trying to look like stiff me, Harm. He totally just like stiff me today. So now I'm just like putting him on the spot. Are you like, who do you consider a backup? Do you consider? OK, listen, I'm just going to save you from yourself here, Quads. Like his his adjusted numbers rank 33rd in the NHL right now, which isn't bad because, like you said, up. there's 32 starters ahead of you. Um, you know, like it, it's been a really good investment. I just think so, there were times there, and I heard this in my in my replies and on Twitter, where it's like I think him and Demko had like the same raw save percentage, like nine eighteen, nine, like right across the board. They were the same people. Like start Casey DeSmith ahead of Demko, and I was like, whoa, like like let's just back off here a little bit um his invite they have played really well in front of him and that's a part of it now the one thing that we see that casey does is he gives up and i think this has actually gotten better as the, as the year has gone on he has controlled rebounds he keeps them in front of him they're not bad rebounds there is such a thing as good rebounds versus bad rebounds but he gives up a fair amount more of them i know there, you know there are goalie coaches around the league that like that's one of the things they look for if 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 that's a part of your game 
they don't think that can be championship goaltending, right? So I think we just have to grain of salt things a little bit. The Smith has given them a level of backup goaltending that they haven't had in a while. Again, the environment's a lot better. And in particular, it's been a lot better for him. Like the discrepancy has come down. I think they're only five or six points apart in terms of expected save percentage now. But for a long stretch of season, up until his last couple starts, it was like 10 to 15% in terms of same team in front of them, different expected results. Two two parts to that. One is you have obviously different starts, different situations, maybe lesser teams at times. Um, The other part is, Casey DeSmith deserves credit for this. Like the guy works his ass off in practice. He stays out there for all the drills that nobody wants anything to do with. The guy's hammering pucks from the hash marks. He's the one that's sticking around and taking part in that. Guys play hard for guys like that. And so he's sort of quiet, you know, sort of seen, not heard that, that NHL teams like, especially in their backup goaltenders. Like he does the job really well. And so guys play hard for him and he's benefiting from that. You know, when we get into contract time in the summer and teams are looking for, for a goalie, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up somewhere like, you know, Los Angeles reunited with his former goaltending coach in Pittsburgh. Um, I would grain of salt those decisions the same way. Now I was going to say, I I almost said compared to Jack Campbell, just because Jack Campbell's adjusted save percentage always graded out in the thirties. But I don't think anybody's coming with five times five for Casey to Smith. And frankly, there's, less volatility to go back to the first question in his game than there are in some other goaltenders around the league. There's a real steadiness to the way he plays. I like a lot of what Casey DeSmith does. I just find myself like it's almost playing. It's like, I feel again, I'm going to, you get getting me in trouble here. Quads. I'm going to get the knock on the door because I'm sort of trying to back off some of the expectations that have been created during those stretches where he was actually, you know, based on raw numbers equal to, and at times even outperforming Thatcher Demko and the adjusted stuff said that was never the case. Yeah, by backup save percentage, like I looked it up, he's like sixth in raw numbers. So it's interesting when you kind of add that context. And, you know, you brought up David Riddich, or you brought up LA rather. I want to bring up David Riddich because he's got the second best back, backup save percentage of any backup goaltender. He's got a 925 on the season. Obviously, LA was really, really good uh, in terms of environment to start the year. Switching away from goalies a little bit, what do you think's gone wrong in LA? And obviously, they make the firing um, over the All Star break. Well, it's interesting because the defensive numbers have come down. They were number one with a bullet for the longest time. They're not they're not quite in that same stratosphere anymore, but they haven't fallen off a cliff. Like this is not, you know, like the example I gave you earlier with the Edmonton Oilers. This is not like the worst in the league defensively um, to the best in the league defensively kind of situation. Like they've they've gotten worse, but, you know, even if you look at sort of say like, mid-December on still on the season as a whole they're like the top five team they've given up more off the rush since mid-December and that's what seems to be hurting them and you know again whether it's Edmonton at the beginning of the season uh here in Vancouver over the past couple of years prior to Rick Tocchi coming in what you give up off the rush is problematic because that's where you can create some of the most dangerous chances and Sid, since mid-December they're you know that's now like we're, you know we're talking like full six-week sample here uh even with the break they're 20th in the league in rush chances against, you know, um, five on five. And those were numbers that were top two, top three up until that point and have been in that range for the last couple of seasons. So to me, that's a big one because that's where you create open looks, uh, lateral plays. That's where you're going to give up those types of chances that seem to have exposed their goaltenders were the most. Uh, as far as David Riddish goes, I'm curious to say, like, I'd be surprised if they don't go to him more. 
Hmm. Uh, his adjusted numbers are third best in the entire NHL right now, at plus 2.6%. Like the only guys with better adjusted save percentage right now than David Riddick are Aiden Hill and Jacob Markstrom. That's how good he's been uh, in the early going. Now, there's always been, we talk about volatility. Again, there's always been some volatility in his game. Um, but if I'm the LA Kings, I think I'm going to want to sort of test that theory and see how long he can sort of hold water at this level especially given what you've been getting from Cam Talbot since the environment loosened off the rush uh, has, has, you know, frankly fallen. I don't want to say off a cliff, but it's dropped significantly. How do you look at the Vesna race right now? I think a lot of Canucks fans are sort of curious where Thatcher Demko stacks up in all of, all of this and what his odds may look like. Um, I think his odds are really good. Is cumulative numbers harm? Like he's the only guy that saved more goals above expected. And, um, you know, for people that hear me throwing that term around uh, willy nilly here and, and, you know, don't know what I mean, basically clear side analytics measures shot quality using 34 points of data. So we come up with an, ex, you know, whether the odds of a goal going in the percentage of time that it goes in based on the quality, all those different sort of factors to create a quality of a shot and you measure it and, um, cumulative numbers are your goals saved above expected. So sort of what the total is on the season. The only guy better than him is Jacob Markstrom. Uh, he's, he's 19 goals saved above expected. Connor Hellebuck's still under 16. Like, so he's actually got a lead in that regard. Um, and as much as Markstrom's three ahead of him and is a deserving candidate, I just don't think that teams are going to be willing to, like, I think his raw numbers are so bad again, because the environment is so loose there that I don't think he's going to have a chance. I, I could see Jacob Marsham being a, a worthy Vesna winner and not even being a finalist this year. Hmm. Uh, it's just sort of the way the voting sometimes goes. Raw numbers are hard to ignore. So Demko should be in this conversation. Absolutely. I think if him and Hellebuck finish with similar raw numbers, I don't like his chances as much. Uh, I just think that, you know, GMs like safe picks. I've sort of the way hockey's operated forever. It includes awards voting. And Connor Hellebuck has a Vesna. Some of Hellebuck's numbers, like in one goal situations, when we look at, at um, I know the raw numbers are exceptional, like it's like 970 or something when the Jets are up a goal. Uh, the goal saved above expected when they're up a goal is insane too. I think it's like 12 or 13 of his 15 goals saved are, are when the Jets are only up a goal. So he's holding a lead in tight situations. That said, like I, I don't know that you can punish Thatcher Demko because the Canucks are usually up two or three. Right. Like, so he's not playing in a lot of one goal games. And I think we've seen when things have tightened up, he's been really good. So, um, you know, I, I think little things like that, though, would probably tip the scales if things end up similar towards Connor Hellebuck, just based on GM's sort of preferences and history. I will say this, though. Um, it's even, even like like at the end of the day. Demko would have been the guy after six weeks, right? Like his first mm-hmm. six weeks were insanely good. Yeah. And Hellebuck's in the midst of one of those heaters right now. Like that's how good he's been for the last a little longer, two months on that level. It's all going to depend on who has, like if Hellebuck keeps this up to the end of the season, I he'll, he'll win it. Yep. If Demko has another six week stretch, like he did at the start of the season, he'll win it. And if Jacob Markstrom somehow gets the flames into the playoffs and does you know it to the point where it'll be hard for the GMs to ignore a guy with I think last I checked what's his raw save percentage like it's like just over 900 maybe 907 908 range like I think a lot of te- a lot of vote- voting people are going to look at that and be like oh I can't put a I can't win a Vesna with a save percentage like that but the truth is 
you know, based on the shot quality, nobody's been better this season. I, Aiden Hill, but in a much smaller sample. So um, it, we'll see what happens this second half. That no, Nobody has the answer to that question. They're all worthy candidates. I just think that Hellebuck's history gives them an advantage, whether it's fair or not. It's just the reality. Who starts for Team Canada 2026 at the Olympics? Well, you just heard me talk about Aiden Hill. Um, Is that your guy? I, no, I'm... I, no I, I mean, if I want to like throw a flamethrower to this thing, my guy's probably Jordan Biddington. Like if you guys, you guys want to get into it, like Jordan Bennington, frankly, you talk about crappy narratives, like the narrative after the blues won the cup was that they were still a good defensive team. And it's been horse crap ever since. Like they haven't been, they have not been a good defensive team since they won the cup and Bennington for long stretches has held that team together. And there's, there's a great example of terrible defensive environments. Like you look at his numbers at the start of this season. It's one of the best goalies in the league through like the first two months. He was up there with Demko. He was pushing. And it's just really hard when the environment's that loose to sort of maintain that. Went through a dip. Now he's on a heater again. We talked about guys who should be worthy Vesna candidates. Uh, Jordan Bennington's 16 goals saved above expected at this point right now. Just three behind Thatcher Demko. So um, we've seen him when he's not sort of ground to a pulp or they haven't played the wheels off of him or, or just have him guessing behind that defense. We've seen Jordan Bennington play at an elite level for long stretches, maybe not entire seasons, and that's why he doesn't have more hardware. Uh, but for all people don't like about his maybe some of the act and some of the you know engaging with other goalies, the reality is the guy can stop pucks, and he's done it at a level much better than the raw numbers would indicate for a number of years now. I'm going to suggest Devin Levi, by the time he's 24, can backstop Team Canada, and he can be a great story. I'm, I mean, you won't find a bigger Devin Levi fan than I spent a lot of, spent a full week and a bit with him in Montreal this past summer, learned a lot about him uh, as a player, as a person, the habits he has. I like the no stone unturned guys, the guys that look for any way to get better. And you know, whether it's his use of VR or the way he practices in a three on three rink with a coach named Marco Romano in Montreal and the way he's made that work for him. Like I'm a huge Devin Levi guy. So I won't disagree with that. I just think, you know, like, We'll see, we'll see if he gets an opportunity, see if the Sabres actually start to defend in the next couple of years to give him an opportunity to build some confidence at this level. Yeah, and of course, we definitely shouldn't look over Bennington or Hill. Okay, Kevin, final question for me here. I've got to ask you about the incident over All-Star Weekend. Controversy struck when Thatcher Demko refused to give Jeremy Swayman a goalie hug. Your thoughts? He's not a hugger. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. fair. But honestly, you know, you're so like, there. Okay, but I'm not there, and that's the biggest thing that I will say here. So the first caveat is he might not have seen him. The second caveat is it might have been a bit. The third caveat is maybe just maybe, maybe Canucks fans like in like they're like this is their like fantasy. Thatcher Demko actually knows the history of Bruins Canucks and and was like representing them when he wouldn't hug a Bruin. Like maybe all of that is true. <laughs> I think the most likely thing is that. Thatcher doesn't want to dance for us. Thatcher is a guy who um, doesn't have time for the performative crap, to be quite frank. Like, he's down to business. You look at his face as he walks by, like, that's a face we've seen, right? Like, it's just kind of, it's all about hockey. And when you talk hockey, I, like, and I've said this a couple of times today, um, I have, we, at Ingle Magazine, we sit down with goalies and break down video. It's one of the biggest things we do. It's called pro reads. And so they walk us through their save selections and why, what they're reading on the ice. I spent 45 minutes with him going over his own video last year. And he was phenomenal, like fantastic. The insights were just flowing. 
He's one of our best guests in that format. We've got like 12 different what we call pro read segments live in inglemag.com with him already. He's sensational. But I once asked him if he'd show me how and why he tapes the knob of his stick because it's unique and other goalies have copied it. And he wants nothing to do with it. And that's fine. Like we tease a little bit back and forth. But to him, that's performative. To him, that doesn't matter. And I just think that maybe we caught a glimpse of that. It's not a criticism by any means. It's just who he is. It's how he's wired. I think Rick Talk has even praised him for that business-like attitude. And I think maybe with, again, the caveat that the other things I said could all be true because I haven't asked him and I'm not wasting a text message to him on the goalie hug <laughs> controversy. Let me tell you that much because I because of all those other things I just said, I'm not mm-hmm. wasting his time with it. But um I think most likely based on, on the guy we know, that's probably the answer. What happened to dancing Demko? We were talking about that last week, the whole dancing Demko thing in college. And obviously there's the story with Patrick Waugh interviewing him and saying, stop dancing in between whistles and really just interviewing. So we could rip him for that. What happened to that? Maybe enough, maybe hockey, maybe hockey finally beat him down. Maybe the Patrick Waugh stuff, you know, Maybe we blame Ian Clark, right? Like, look at how sick those pads looked at the All-Star game, but he can't wear those here, right? Like, you know, there's a this is a serious business. Listen, I know the expectation is like if 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 and this is uh, in told me this before in his numerous appearances at Engel, right? Like, if we play the most important position on the ice as goaltenders, then we have to be the hardest workers. Like, we have to be the most focused. We have to set a standard that 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 you know, everybody else strives to follow. Um, and I, I think there can be a carryover that into sort of how you conduct your business. Uh, and listen, from a media standpoint, there are times where it's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, you, you wish you'd dance a little bit. But I, I think when you understand the reasons, you understand the person. And it doesn't mean he's a fun smuggler, uh, as my kids often call me. Um, it's not like he's like the enemy of fun. You, we've seen him joke around with teammates in the locker room. You've seen him give goalie hugs in truly raw emotional situations or just being genuinely happy for say a Casey DeSmith. Like he's given big emotional goalie hugs. It's just, this probably felt a little performative or it was all a bit. And we'll find out when uh, he gets to Boston and they all ask him about it, but it (laughs) won't be me. Kevin, great stuff as always, man. Thank you so much for doing this, and thanks for joining us today. You guys are going to lead with the goalie hug clip, aren't you, in the in the promo for this? I'm going to get buried. We'll uh, see. I know. We'll see. I, I, you threw the backup thing at me. You just said all that. I might get thrown out there. We might just we might do the thing where we cut up your answer, and then we'll just find you saying the word where you say, oh, I didn't say he's not good, and then we'll just say Thatcher Demko is not good, and we'll get you to say that. Kevin Woodley AI. That's our next bit. Uh, I, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I eagerly await this. This is what you get quads for not having me. I should thank you. Actually. I didn't have to drive downtown. I got to do it from my office. I'm not even wearing pants right now. This is great. So there you go. Right on Kevin. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Take care guys. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And there he was, Kevin Woodley. And like you said, uh, Ingle Meg, they've got a lot of good stuff in the Pro Read series is fantastic. So make sure you go check it out at ingolmeg.com. All right, let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada, subject to change, terms to apply. All right, what do we got here? Anyone else? Uh, do we have... Okay, we don't have much. Okay, people asked us stuff earlier and I wanted to get to one that I saw. Yeah, okay, here we go. This one's for me from Andrew Christensen. Quads, what did you think of Tate McRae's auto-tuned lip-syncing performance? To be fair, it's the only performance that didn't seem awkward and cringe in the last several years during this weekend. I think you answered your own question in the back half. Was she lip-syncing at times? Yeah, probably. Was she crushing it the entire time? Yeah, also probably. I I, I talked about this last week. She's a dancer first. She won that show. I couldn't remember the name. My girlfriend reminded me of it. Um... So you think you can dance. That was the show. She like won that show or was a contestant, something like that. And uh, she, she's a dancer first and foremost. And we saw that. She was she was fantastic. She did a great job. Um, so everybody take it easy on the... Actually, I, I honestly, all of the stuff I saw on Twitter was praising Dave McCray for her performance at the All-Star Game. I thought it was good. It was a good performance. She did well. Yeah, it was solid. I also think that um, the NHL finally got somebody that people outside a very niche audience would know. Like, sure... I, I bet there are a lot of hockey fans, especially older ones that won't know who Tate McRae is. But if you ask the average person our age, you're tapping into a new audience there. Most of them know who uh, Tate McRae is. She's got like 35 million yep. listeners on Spotify or yep. something. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, okay. People are asking how to get anyone else's in. Uh, Captain Canucks asking. So put AE colon at the start of your question in the youtube live chat and we will answer it sometimes i see them otherwise like this one from rp88 we'll get to this one um sometimes i see them but it's easier for my eyes to catch it if it's ae because i gotta pay attention i don't have time to go read the whole chat because we got a lot of people thank you to everybody uh in the youtube live chat make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel as well okay this one from rp88 do you guys see talk at trying out a hoaglander lindholm pd combo at some point the swedish meatball line as rp88 is calling it I say, yeah, I was actually thinking about this on the drive in today. Harmon was, we know Elias, uh, Elias Lindholm is going to play with Elias Pettersson. We know that's happening. We also know based on line rushes at Sunday night's practice, Sunday afternoon, I guess, practice that Ilya Mikheyev is going to be the other winger there. Ilya Mikheyev hasn't been going all season long. Is he 
someone that you're going to replace with Niels Huglander? I'd say yeah. I also think Phil DiGiuseppe is really close to returning. Phil DiGiuseppe's been on LTIR. He skated at Sunday afternoon's practice. When he comes back, you have to assume he's going to get into the lineup. I don't want to see Phil DiGiuseppe in the top six. Like, I, I want to see yeah. Niels Huglander go for that spot and go earn that spot. Phil DiGiuseppe is much better suited for that fourth line than Nils Huglander is, you would assume, right? I would like to see Nils Huglander take that step and get that shot to play on the Swedish meatball line. I'm trying to think, and I guess the way I'm changing this question myself is, if Ilya Mikheyev still can't find his game, what's plan B? It has to be Huglander, in my opinion. I don't think DiGiuseppe is even in the conversation, quite frankly, especially because his best fit in the top six, if anything, was with the Miller-Besser line. And even that, I don't want to see it again. There's just not enough offensive pop there. But I also do think that McCabe's going to get a decent amount of leash there. Yep. You also have to keep in mind that he's coming off a, a massive ACL injury last season. That's a tough injury to fully get to 100% from. And we didn't have as much of a discussion about it because in the early part of this season, he was productive right away. But oftentimes it does take in your first season back, not until close to the end of the season that you fully hit your stride. I mean, sometimes if you're unlucky, you don't, you don't even fully get it back. I mean, Antoine Roussel, if you remember, was unbelievable in his first year as a Canuck, not just in terms of being hard to play against, but driving play, chipping in with five and five offense towards ACL and his speed was never the same. You hope that's not the case with Mikheyev. Mm -hmm. You hope it's just a case of shaking off the rust. But you're right. I mean, I remember watching Mikheyev in years past, and you're thinking, wow, this is one of the fastest guys in the NHL. There's been very, very few moments this year where, yeah. I, where I've thought, wow, that's one of the fastest guys in the NHL. This is a good one. It kind of goes off of that one. And it's directed at you from Sinotrick. Do you think the PD Lindholm line will take on the matchup role now? It's a good question. I I don't even know if the Canucks themselves have fully established that yet because you're waiting to see how they fit as a line. And to be honest, the way I was looking at matchup data yesterday, yes, the Miller line has played slightly more minutes against elite competition, but the difference between the Miller line and the Pedersen line in that respect isn't a lot. It hasn't been a distinguished I mean, it was early in October yep. when Miller was Line always was hard matched yeah. and it was at his, it was at its best. But since then, it's been a pretty even split. There hasn't been, it's distinguished. This is the line that's going to always we match watch up. This line yeah. hundred percent going to go up against the opposition's best. It's been a relatively even split. And honestly, that's kind of what I expect moving forward until the playoffs, at least is the Pedersen and Miller lines getting a roughly equal uh, amount of the ice time against the opposition's best and if you want a hard match like if you wanted to hard match it goes back to the versatility of Elias Lindholm Elias Lindholm that we were talking about earlier in the show like if the Miller line wasn't going in that shutdown role you're not putting out Pedersen Kuzmenko and Mikheyev as your shutdown line right so the Canucks would sometimes throw out the third line and then they would try to weather that storm but now they have what should be a truly elite two-way line at their disposal and they should be able to you know, if the Miller line, for example, isn't going, you should be able to decide, okay, we're going to be able to put the Patterson line out. That's another added level of versatility that I don't think we've touched on uh, nearly enough, but something that just came to mind for me. Okay, Jeremy Lee, who do you compare Elias Lindholm to? Player comp, 
threw out Ryan Kessler, all these different guys, different names he threw out. I've got to be honest, there isn't one that's immediately come to my mind. Sometimes you watch players and you're like, oh, this guy reminds me of that guy. I don't really get that feeling with Lindholm. Pavel Buchnevich? A little bit? Not really. A little bit? Uh, I I think Buchnevich is more of a... I think he's more of a dynamic play driver. Yeah. Lindholm's not much of a play driver, which is why this this idea that... uh, Oh, if, Eli- if Elias Patterson leaves, Elias Lindholm can step in. Oh, no. Very, yeah. very different players and di- different roles that they are obviously going to fill. Lindholm is is really one of those players that you look at and go, his skill set to unlock it, he needs to be a supporting piece on the line. Again, there isn't one name around the NHL that comes to mind, but ultimately, you know, you know what, what it is when you watch him play too? It's that he has above average speed, he has pretty good size. He can win battles. He can finish pretty well. So he's got above average tools across the board. Like he's even a pretty decent passer, but there isn't a standout attribute. You know what I mean? There yep. isn't like one area where when you watch some of these elite players, you're like, wow, look at that guy's speed. Sure. Or like Quinn Hughes, you're like, wow, look at that skating. Or with uh, Pedersen, yep. it's the shot. It's the elite IQ. It's the hands. There isn't anything... Lindholm is a jack of all trades, master of none. And I'm sure there are comps around the NHL for that player type, but there isn't one that immediately comes to mind. Brian Choi throwing out uh, Mike Santarelli, but like vastly upgraded. (laughs) You know what? I don't hate that. Santarelli (laughs) was really good that year, like a vastly upgraded version. Do you remember that one? I think it was 20, was it 14, 15 or 13, 14? Dude, I asked for a Mike Santarelli jersey for Christmas that year, and I didn't get one. But I, I wanted a Mike Santorelli jersey. I was looking at Lindholm's old draft profile, and some writer had him a combination between Gabriel Landeskog and Peter Forsberg. And I think it's just because it's the Swedish connection. I don't really yeah. see those players either. And I think it's it's tough to always handicap that because every player is their own player in their own way, and you don't always need that direct comparable. Like, sure, there's elements of some players' games that resemble others, but... I think that's just something like fans have kind of obsessed over from the draft from all these years. Like, oh, he reminds me of this and that. Like Craig Button, I know, does a lot of that with his Craigslist where he'll have like a player comparable. It's kind of just done for to give you kind of a, you know, outlook perspective, but not necessarily actually like this player. I like the idea of like, okay, this guy's ceiling is this and his floor is this. Because I think that because the reason they give out player comps is because you want, you know, people who don't follow draft content a lot and maybe aren't the biggest hockey nerds to like understand like, Hey, I know that name. I would love it if they just threw out the floor and it was like, yeah, his floor is all you levy. Like yeah. draft day, it's like he can either become Drew Doughty or he can either become all you levy. Well, There's no in between. But that's the probably the most fair way of that's doing the reality it. of it. And you get so much shock value. You know what I'm, I'm, I'm saying from now on, I hope Dave Hall's listening to this. That's our new method at Canucks army. His floor his floor comp and his ceiling comp. Tom, That's our new, not new. Tom Willander, best case, Charlie McAvoy. Yeah. Worst case, Lee Levy. <laughs> oh, man. That's so good. That's going to be our new way of doing things at Canucks Army. Mark my words. That's our new way of doing draft content. Okay. Uh, this is great. Ty David, how many Italian Canadian hockey players get drafted to the Italy hockey team in 2026? Because they're hosting, obviously, right? So they have to have a team. Um, is, is that how it works? 
Grady, jump in if you know the answer. Um, but I'm pretty sure, if I'm understanding correctly, if you're the host country, you have to have a team for every sport, right? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So it's, it's Ty's asking if PDG is going to make it. I think you have to qualify before. Because, you know, I know the World Juniors, they have, like, tiers below where, like, the winner gets to move up. And then, like, the bottom, whoever faces uh, finishes last gets relegated. Now, that's for the World Juniors. So I forget how the Olympics works. But. I feel like they would probably have to work their way up. Yeah, I am. I am going to be rooting <laughs> so hard for my underdogs in blue if they make. If they have to have a team, that'll be the funniest thing. I really want to see Italy host. Michael Dolzato is like running their power play. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is like my question is: Would those guys even be eligible? I don't think. I so. don't think they would have be. to apply Canadian... for dual citizenship. Yeah, and I don't think PDG is going to do that to go get spanked twelve to one every <laughs> game they play in. Like, I don't think that's happening. Um, Anyways, great question. Ty got some good discourse here. Brian Choi, everyone's floor is technically Oli Olevi. Oh, that's great. All right. Um, <clears throat> people are uh, pointing out, I don't know if, I, if you noticed this, uh, Quinn Hughes C fell off his jersey or wasn't on his jersey. He was the only captain at the All-Star game that didn't have a C on his jersey. I didn't notice this. Fanatics jersey? Yeah, that's someone else asked, pointed that out in the chat. Was it was it already made by Fanatics? Uh, I didn't notice that, but uh, people are saying it's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Marcus knows the rules. Marcus says every sport is represented by the host country. Japan had a hockey team when they hosted the Olympics. So we're going to see Team Italy. Man, my nonno's going to be pulling out the blue. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Is Italy going to the World Cup? Okay, I don't want to get distracted. But Canada, for example, is going to the World Cup, right? Yeah. Although, didn't they earn that right? Isn't the that. Canadian team actually like decent now? Anyways, I it don't is. watch soccer. Um, they qualified for the last World Cup. Is Messi coming to Vancouver at some point here? I do think so, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You know who didn't qualify for the last World Cup quads? Italy. I know that because I got a call from my grandpa. <laughs> he was like, he couldn't believe it. Like, I, I can't remember. It was like the first time in his lifetime or like the first time since like, the 70s, I think, was the last time. I, I can't remember. I gotta look it up. Getting a little off topic. A lot of Italy content today. Yeah, yeah. So honestly, it's an content. upgrade from the baseball content. We could do the trifecta. I talked goalies, I talked Italy, and now I'm talking baseball. Get some BCHL next. No, stop. There's a lot going on there. Did you have you guys seen all that drama with the BCHL and the AJHL? Yeah, some of it, not all of it. Yeah, okay. The last time. Yeah. 1958 World Cup. Wow. And then they, that was the, that, okay, 1958 World Cup. Okay. And then the last time was when they didn't enter the first World Cup in 1930. That's crazy. Yeah, they sat it out. They sat out the 1930 World Cup. But, anyways, people might be asking why we're talking about this. Uh, the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, Gary Batman, confirmed that 2026 and 2030 Olympics, there'd be NHL participation. And I think that's got a lot of people really excited. I know when the Canucks have some downtime, we'll be drafting up our teams, looking at who's going to be there. But it's so interesting. We talked about with Kevin, who's going to be the goalie for Canada. That's obviously a big question on everybody's mind. But there's there's nobody really standing out right now. You have to think Jordan Bennington behind that group would be the best option. But I'm not discounting Devin Levi. Like, I brought up Devin Levi, and I'm serious about it. Like, I'm not discounting that Devin Levi might be the best option by the time he's 24 years old. Uh, or 23, 24. Um, or no, he'd be 25. 
And I know Canucks fans probably don't want to hear this, but Stuart Skinner would likely be in that. Stuart mix Skinner's too. in that mix too. Yep. He'd have uh, Connor McDavid on that team. Man, that team, US yeah. and US and Canada are going to be, you know, two absolute wagon teams. And now now imagine America's goalie debate. Oh no, our oh. big controversy. Oh no, we got Hellebuck, Demko, Ottinger. Who are we gonna start? So I had I had Leafs fans mad at me in twenty I can't remember what year. It was some international tournament. I had it from a source that USA Hockey had decided to go with Thatcher Demko as their third string goalie for an event that never took place. It might have actually been the Olympics. I don't know what it was. It was some event where USA Hockey had to go and it was a best on best tournament. And I don't know why I can't remember off the top of my head, but I had a source tell me on very, very good authority. Like I knew it was a fact. Um, and I reported it as such that Thatcher Demko was selected to be the third goalie, but rosters for the tournament never came out. So it was just, I knew that USA hockey had decided internally that Thatcher Demko was going to be their third string goaltender behind Connor Hellebuck and behind John Gibson over Jack Campbell, over Jack Campbell right. and Leafs fans were mad at me. Like they were like, you don't know this. Like, and then they were like, it should have been Jack Campbell. Like it should be Jack Campbell. Like USA hockey doesn't know what they're doing. And I'm like, okay. Would have that been perhaps the 2020 world cup that never happened mm, maybe i could find my story because i think it was that was but i wasn't was even four year, i wasn't no, even i, I didn't have sources that. in 2020 i was like 20 i didn't know anything i didn't i i i genuinely i know it wasn't 2020 um usa hockey i'm doing a quick search yeah yeah okay okay here it is here it is i found the story and <laughs> now my browser's freezing yeah okay uh the the olympic team for the 2022 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here okay, we go. Yeah. Would have been a member of this year's USA Winter Olympic team had NHL players been allowed to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there it is. We, we need a little like theme music whenever Quad looks something when up Google, on the fly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just a little dude like Jeopardy. Yeah, it's good times. Good times on the show. That was a great Arm anyone can else start idea. singing to fill the air. <laughs> we'll lose listeners every few seconds. <laughs> Did you guys see uh, the latest on Shohei Otani? No. Aiden Hill is another name when it comes to Canadian goaltenders. And again, Jari, I'm so glad too. Jari. Yeah. yeah, that's the train I've been kind of mm, Jari on. Jari on. for no, one. I don't like Jari. Maybe one of them. You're right. Sure. Someone brought Flurry as the third stringer. 40, 41, would he be? 41-year-old <laughs> Marc-Andre Flurry. Not Carter Hart. Yeah, not Carter Hart. Um, okay, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Do we have it here? It's about the Leafs being frauds. We're getting there. So it segues pretty nicely from our last segment. Yeah, it's the New York Islanders to win. A $10 bet at plus 125 odds returns you $22.50 over on Betway. Folks, the Leafs kind of won two playoff rounds en route to winning some sort of championship, some sort of title. So you know they're going to be taking the night off tonight. Uh, the New York Islanders are going to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you put $10 on it, plus 125 odds, and they do that, currency 2250 over on betway must be 90 plus play if you choose to play please play responsibly all right before we depart we've got a few more words from our sponsors and those would be wendy's daily face-off survivor pool game and seagrams let's talk about wendy's because i'm back i'm back in the game folks shots on goal goals against average and points per game can make or break your week but don't overlook bpmm wendy's bacon portobello mushroom melt sure it may not help you win weekly prize with wendy's and daily face-off survivor pool fantasy but unlike my predictions it never disappoints so try your luck but don't push it because the bacon portobello mushroom melt is only back for a limited time and if you miss it you won't get a second chance sign up for daily face-off survivor pool fantasy today sponsored by wendy's and the wendy's app 
Time to shout out our next sponsor, Seagram's VO Select Canadian Whiskey. Artfully blended and impeccably crafted. Make it your very own. Originally introduced back in the early 1900s, Seagram's VO was designed as a wedding gift from Joseph E. Seagram for his son. Joseph E. Seagram liked it so much, he put it out on the market, and the rest was history. Seagram's VO went on to become one of the most successful whiskeys to ever come from Canada. Seagram's VO is currently available in select BC liquor stores, so visit Seagram's VO Select on the BC Liquor Store's website to purchase or find it in your nearest liquor store. My family's very own whiskey. Barrel-aged and set apart. Marked with VO. Artfully blended. Impeccably crafted. As a wedding gift to my son. For the bride and groom. And now, over a century later, from our very own family to yours. A legacy rooted in whiskey. Seagram's VO. Growing deeper. Reaching out. Raising a glass to your legacy. Seagram's VO. Make it your very own. Folks, we got a lot of new sponsors. We got a lot of new sponsors to start the month of February. And this was a fun one. This was a fun episode. We went long today. We had Kevin Woodley. It was a great show. Uh, it was a great show. And it was brought to you. Once again, I should mention it was brought to you by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge. That's enough to get you from Kitsilano to Whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game. Now, that's what we call electric. The best part, by choosing electric, you can get up to $11,000 in rebates and incentives. The BZ4X are in stock and selling quickly, so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local Pacific Toyota dealer today to get your hands on one. This was Canucks Conversation. That is Harmon Dial, our technical producer is Grady Sass, and our intern, once again, is Madison Buckingham. My name is Dave Guggelli. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel, and if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 